right, welcome to episode number 13 of Shutters and Shells. My name is Dom Gatto from Dom Gatto Photography. And uh, yeah, we're going to be having Steve Jessmore on the show today. Very excited. A couple of things before we start. Shutters and Shells is now being completely ad-free and sponsored by you, the listeners. If you want to go ahead and sponsor the podcast with a monthly donation of a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars per month, I'll love you forever, number one. Number two, you're going to keep this podcast going and uh, going to keep everything rolling the way it's rolling now because no one really likes ads. However, I will say this. I just became a uh, executive producer for Whiskey and Whitetails. And if you guys don't know Whiskey, Whiskey and Whitetails, they are building a community that has some amazing potential and are really solid people uh, to build a foundation with. Um, they're building a foundation on their Patreon. You can seriously find them anywhere. If you ask Siri or whatever your Android version of a, of a voice thing to say, play Whiskey and Whitetails, it'll pull their podcast right up and you can find all their stuff. You can also head over to their website, whiskeyandwhitetails.com, and pick up some early Christmas gifts. They make some amazing stuff out of uh, whiskey barrel staves. I have my house full of it. It is legit. I give them as gifts all the time. Um, if you guys want 20% off any of their stuff, use the code GATTO, G-A-T-T-O. And uh, just so you know, I don't get any kickbacks. I don't get any uh, affiliate money for that. I just do it because I'm part of that group. And I got to tell you, they are really this people to support. They give a ton of money to uh, veteran support donations. They're veterans themselves. So give me a look. Otherwise, let's kick off lucky number episode 13. Steve, Welcome back for your second round of Shutters and Shells. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm glad to be lucky number 13. <laughs> That's the number I always buy, lottery ticket I always buy. Hey, you that? never know. You never know. Yeah. Superstition is superstition, but uh, no. a lot has happened since the last time we had Steve over here on the show. Steve won the 2021 Autobahn Photography Awards for the professional category. Not only did he win... Not only did this man win, he swept the category. He got the first place prize and got the runner-up, something I haven't seen before. So, Steve, first and foremost, congratulations to you for winning that prestigious award, especially only after, was it been a year of you really going de delving deep into the wildlife photography? Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, since last, maybe July or August, that's when I started. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, pretty quick uh, curve, I guess, but uh, it's still pretty surreal, and I do appreciate that. Of course. So, what has uh, what's changed for you since um, this was like announced? Were you surprised to see that you you swept the category? What was your first thought when you saw the announcement? Well, I got a call from the photo editor in uh, from Audubon, and uh, she told me I won first, and we talked a little bit, and I said, "Well, it's really cool," you know. I'm glad I'm sitting down and it was pretty surreal even to win first I mean I, I kind of just entered on a whim I only entered four pictures total and um, you know so we talked for a little while and then she said well you also got honorable mention and I was like oh that's nice you know and she's like well you know how do you feel and I said well I, you know I guess I'm excited you know but I won first you know, so the honorable mention didn't really like uh, I've been in a lot of contests through the years and second place was the first loser. So honorable mention really wasn't like it didn't really even register. And uh, so they embargoed it about six weeks or so. And uh, I knew when I couldn't say anything. And uh, I finally went to the website and checked out last year's winners. And I realized they only don't even give out honorable mentions in every category. So they don't give out a second, third, or multiple honorable mentions. No, no, they don't. So uh, yeah, there's not even an honorable mention for each category. So at that point, I was glad I was sitting down. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it all sunk in, you started to realize what just happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I, I realized what happened. But like I told you just a minute ago, it's still really surreal. Um, you know, being new to doing this and, um, you know, not new to photography at all and not new to chasing moments or telling stories or anything like that. But, you know, it was just something that was my COVID challenge. And, um, you know, it really was something that I just couldn't do. And I decided I was going to learn to do it. And, uh, you know, so just like sitting back and you know, again, just so surreal, just losing sleep, laying there thinking, how in the world could I like seriously take the top two prizes? I mean, there are 8,700 entries and over 2,000 photographers. And, um, 
you know, just to think about that, uh, I mean, was just overwhelming. And, um, you know, the only thing I can come to think about is the storytelling in the moment, you know, chasing. And um, those two things for me are really important to be able to to be able to show a bird doing something and doing what a bird does and uh, telling that story and having it speak for itself is um, really kind of what I'm out for all the time. And um, I don't, uh, you know, I made a hashtag and my friends and I, we, we just sat around brainstorming, you know, it's kind of like, what am I trying to do? Like, what's my mantra? And uh, I actually made an Instagram account and I haven't populated it yet, but, Basically, my whole thing I'm going for is birds doing shit, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. And, and that like kind of it, it kind of dumbs it down to the lowest common denominator. But I, I really do feel like, you know, it, it's there's a, so many good photographers and so many great photographers and so many beautiful pictures of birds with blurred backgrounds and, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous pictures. But for me, I want to take it to another level and, you know, have them actually moving and, you know, try to compose on the fly and, and, uh, stalk them like a hunter would stalk, you know, a bird. So, uh, I, you know, I just, uh, really want to take it to a different level. And I hope that's what I did. I would like to think that's what you did, especially sweeping the category. But I mean, for those that don't know and haven't seen Steve's work before, it really is a cut above in the sense that, it does tell a story and that comes a lot from his photojournalism background. If I'm not mistaken, you did photojournalism journalism for what is it like 30 years of experience in photojournalism? Yeah. I worked primarily in Michigan, uh, as a shooter for a uh, better part of 25 years. And, uh, I've also been a photo editor and, you know, a content creating editor. So 30 years uh, that I worked at the Saginaw news in Michigan uh, which was my hometown. That's where mm-hmm. I started. It was a daily newspaper. Then I moved to the Flint Journal in Flint, Michigan, worked there 10 years. And uh, I was chief photographer both places. And uh, in 2008, there was a, kind of a huge crash and a lot of things. And our industry went sort of belly up, uh, you know, with the internet happening and lack of, you know, subscriptions and mm-hmm. advertising. And I ended up going down to Myrtle Beach and, uh, I lived in Polly's Island, South Carolina for about six years. Um, so that rounds out to 30. And uh, then I was uh, Central Michigan University's photographer. I came back to Michigan and uh, did that for six years. Uh, Always coming back home. Yeah, I was. that was my alma mater too. So I was the only uh, shooter for 20,000 plus university and, uh, you know, pretty much a day, night, all the time job. And uh, but it was a blast. And so that's where I, you know, moved to uh, higher education freelance. Now uh, that's what I do primarily. Yeah. And I mean, I'm curious now, because did you see this as some sort of validation being that you won these awards? Because I know you kind of went out with the whole wildlife photography thing on a whim out of wanting to go do it, wanting to go shoot. And you kind of just took to it for lack of a better term, like a duck to water. And uh, now that you've been, I mean, plenty of people have told you, you know, your work's great. I've told you your work's great. But to hear it from the Autobahn, was that like a defining moment for you? You were like, oh, maybe I'm really that good at this. Well, you know, I mean, when I Googled it, it it came up. And I think one of the first sentences was this is considered, it's sometimes referred to as the contest, you know. Yes, absolutely. It is. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, again, I entered on a whim and people just told me I should. um, people said I should follow. Yeah, I didn't know anything about them. I'll be really honest. I knew I, I started giving to Audubon last year when I started photographing birds. And I thought, well, I really love this. I'm going to, you know, give back. I'm going to make a donation every month. And so I, you know, I, I started giving mm-hmm. to Audubon. That's and, good. It's a good, it's a good uh, very good organization to give to. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew what they did in general, you know, it was birds. And but that's about all I knew. I had never seen a magazine or never, never really went to their website or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was just kind of shooting and I was trying to get better on my own, which is something I had to do most of my life. I really, I never had anyone else edit my photos. All through my photojournalism career, I never really worked with an editor that did a day in, day out edit on my stuff. So I always had to try to learn and improve 
on my own and be really critical of my own work because nobody else was critical. Everybody else was like, Oh, you're really good. You know, it's the hardest thing to do. It is so hard. The best story I have is in the beginning, when I figured this out, I was right out of college and I went to the newsroom and I had a picture and I turned it in on deadline at night. You know, I was out, I shot it, came back 10 o'clock at night, deadlines 1030 or whatever. And the editor's like, Oh, this is just the greatest picture. And I'm like, really? Why? You know, I'm finally thinking, okay, I'm getting some, I'm going to get some really good feedback here. And, and he, he looked at me, he said, well, it's a vertical and I have a vertical hole in the newspaper. It's perfect. <laughs> and I said, all right, you know, so I think I'm going to have to start talking to myself and just saying, you know, you know, Steve, you, you know, you really needed to do this or that, or, so I really do have this like little extra Steve in my head that tells me all the time, you know, keeps me honest is the best way to put it. And uh, so I, I think that's really important for anyone to be honest, you know, because like you said, people tell you that your work's great. And, you know, your grandma tells you, your wife tells you, your kids tell you, your neighbor tells you, Instagram, you get the little likes, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful that people tell you that. But a lot of times they're going to like most anything. And Yeah, uh, very true. You know, so, I mean, it's important to me. That's important to me. But it's really important to me that I like it myself, I guess, you know, that I would throw down that thumb, you know, on it. or And, and so that I guess I'm just really critical and trying not in a bad way or a destructive way, but to try to improve and say, well, you really should have got out a half hour earlier. or You should have really not been on your phone or you really should have, you know, taken an extra body and not been so lazy or you know, something like that. And that's the way I'll talk to myself. Yeah. It sounds um, like a page out of uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War here, where it's know thy enemy and know yourself, even though yourself may be your enemy. (laughs) So you just have to know both. No, absolutely. But Audubon, you know, I mean, the first thing I heard was somebody told me I should watch, hey, I know this guy, he made it into the top 100 of Audubon. And I'm like, oh, is that good? They're like, oh yeah, that's great. You get into the top 100, you're you know, you're golden. That's just fabulous. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I looked at the guy's work and I thought it's good, but you know, I mean, it's nothing. I, in my opinion, it wasn't anything spectacular. It was really good, but you know, a nice, clean, sharp, nicely lit image. And uh, so that was kind of the last time I looked at it. And I really, in, in a lot of ways, I guess I try to as I said, I'm really critical of myself and I try to learn from myself and from my mistakes. And, um, you know, I look at other pictures, but primarily it's my own. And mm-hmm. um, so I just started doing that and looking and technical stuff and lighting, you know, and lens selection and moments. And, you know, I missed the buffle heads today. So what am I going to do tomorrow? You know, why did I miss them today? What am I going to do tomorrow? What time did they show up today? I bet they'll be here within 10 minutes tomorrow, the same time. I'm going to use a different lens, you know, that sort of thing. Every day I would think like that. And, uh, you know, I really didn't think much about entering the contest still until, uh, yeah, I think, well, you could enter for a month and it was free. And I got the email from Audubon because I was donating. I thought, uh, you know, whatever, this is my first year. What chance do I have as a professional? I'm a professional photographer for sure but i'm not a wildlife photographer you know and apparently you are now <laughs> well no i think that's getting back to your you're like how does that make me feel and apparently i am you know yeah. I mean, and i think that's uh again it's very surreal but it's very um yeah it's just very satisfying because i mean people try for that award every year of their lives and don't make it you know and it's not that they aren't good photographers or even great photographers, but, um, you know, the, it just, it's something, it's a feather in my hat now, you know, it's the first line on my wildlife resume. Now it's the foot in the door now, you know, to talk to someone, they're like, Oh, you are legit. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of that since I have one, I've had people reach out to me and I've reached out to a few people and, you know, they do take you a little more seriously, I think, and, um, which is great. Again, not that I'm that much better of a photographer. I just got some accolades and it does make a difference. So. Oh, it does. It absolutely does. And especially in the world of wildlife photography, I mean, anyone can go out there and start taking pictures of some animals and they could have 
you know, one or two good shots and a bunch of, you know, okay shots. And they'll be like, well, I'm a wildlife photographer. I mean, look, we've all gone down that road. But, I mean, I could seriously say that all the photos you put out there, and even some that you've shown me, that you've been like, ah, I wish this was a little better. It, it goes back to you self-criticizing yourself. Because I've seen some of the shots from you that you weren't 100% happy with or you weren't 100% on board with. And I've looked at them saying, these are fantastic. <laughs> like, it's just sometimes it blows my mind how you're able to capture that little moment. Like, some of the shots you have of birds catching bugs. I cannot wrap my brain around how you get that. I, I, I can't. It's, I've tried it ever since seeing some of your work. When I'm out there and I see birds, I try my best to go for it just to kind of broaden my horizons. And I find it a billion times more difficult than the normal, you know, deer or turkey or whatever else that I'm usually shooting. So, I mean, you being so critical on yourself is almost pushing you to that higher realm of a photographer that I think it, that could apply to like any kind of photography. If someone really se honestly self critique themselves, they could really grow no matter what. And I think uh, you have a good example of that right now. Yeah, I really do think that's, um, uh, you know, my work ethic has always been strong. Um, you know, as a kid, I learned the work ethic from my parents and, um, you know, it translates from retail or whatever I was doing to, you know, um, being the boss's son, not being able to sit around, you know, you had to be an example. I got the lesson, be an example for everyone else because, you know, the boss's son can't be sitting around. Okay. You know, so that's true. You know, I, I always had to, um, make my own breaks. You know, I, I think we talked about last time I wanted to go to concerts couldn't go, you know, too much money. Well, can I find a way to go for free and I can go? Sure. You know, I got work from the newspaper as a sophomore in high school and shot over a hundred concerts before I, I got out of high school. You know, you make those breaks, you, you know, kind of in your head, plan your path. I think I planned my path, not to the Audubon, but planned my path with learning bird photography. Didn't know it would go that far that quick. But it was a challenge. And mm -hmm. I think, as you just said, it really, you have to be honest with yourself. I don't know how else to say it. You know, you can't just settle and, you know, I have a lot of people, oh, well, what kind of camera do you use? You know, what kind of lens do you have? Oh, uh, you know, that's why you're so good, you know? And it's like, well, nah. Nah. You yeah. know, I mean, I had, I shot this, I shot the Audubon stuff. I had a Sony A92, which is a very nice camera. And I had their prosumer zoom lens, 200 to 600 Sony lens. It's not the Tamron. It's not the Sigma. I looked at both of those, but I mm -hmm. thought, you know, I am a professional photographer. I do make my income with photography. I'm going to shoot football. I'm going to shoot things for money. I'm just going to buy the Sony equipment. I've always had either Nikon or Canon, and I've always had their lenses for the most part. Um, you know, the lenses I use day and out are my tools. And, uh, you know, so to spend an extra whatever on that tool, it's just something I feel like I should do. But I didn't have, you know, the the big long glass to shoot the pictures that I won with. And um, I will say that I do now, and I do have the long glass. And part of that was, in my mind, a reward. That was my reward for that accomplishment. You know, it was the sort of thing that I really felt that, um, again, I am a professional and uh, not a professional bird photographer really still. But um, I think the most valuable thing that we have is our time. And if I'm going to sit out there for five hours a day, 20 hours a week, if that's what I'm doing that week, you know, I don't want that to be my crutch. I don't want that to be, uh, you know, I, I just, I guess I want to feel like um, I've got what I need to do the job that I need, that I want to do. And um, while I do feel like I get more unique, uh, some different looking pictures now, you know, with the, the 2.8 lenses and the mm -hmm. F4 lenses, it's a, it's a incredible thing if you can afford it, if you can, you know, justify it i wouldn't have done that if i wouldn't have been a professional photographer though you know i don't think I no, it makes thought, perfect sense yeah no i always thought maybe i'd retire someday and buy a 600 and sit and photograph birds and then I'd, the next thing out of my mouth would be nah 
you know, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. Well, and uh, I mean, you know, now, now it makes perfect sense. That, yes, I am going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, to me, I look at being 61, uh, you know, again, all my life, I've always had as a journalist, I've had access to fast lenses, but I personally always bought a 300 2.8, 400 2.8, something that I've had with me for that night spot news or the football games or whatever, because that was how I earned my living. And uh, I, I did feel like that was a tool that I needed to have in my bag. Yeah. At, at this point where like this goes back to the whole point of validation too, where you could afford that lens, but you couldn't justify that lens. Right. And right. I mean, a 600 millimeter F4, I'm assuming that's the one you, you picked up. It is. Yeah. That's a, that's a pricey piece of glass. That is a, I mean, you might as well buy a car at that point. That is a pricey piece of glass. And for you to kind of get this notion now that, you know, I'm this good with this prosumer equipment. What about the high end end all be all equipment? What could I do with that? You know, and if you're already winning the Autobot Awards, how much further could you go with that little piece of better equipment? Because I mean, I'm a firm believer of the best camera you have is the one in your hands. All right, a photograph is made, it's not taken, you have to have that background, which you have, you have to know what you're doing to capture the kind of photos that you're capturing. But that kind of equipment in the hands of someone who has the experience that you have is what allows you to get that little extra edge on yourself at this point. Because if you could do it with the 200 to 600, you could do it with the 600 prime and you could do it even better with the 600 prime. But if you gave that same setup to someone else who doesn't know what they're doing with it or just wants to point and shoot, it's not going to be anywhere as close. So a lot of people always reach out asking about like, you know, what lens should I get? What camera should I get? Um, Tom Glusa, who um, he's a big fan of yours, by the way, he was on the show a couple episodes ago. He, me and him had a long talk back and forth about uh, he was looking to upgrade his camera and what lenses to get and all this. I told him, you know, if you want some zoom and you're looking to just do this as a hobby, maybe go pro later, don't go spending $20,000 on a lens because if you don't like it, that's going to suck. But, you know, he has developed more of a style and more of um, an eye for things using just, you know, uh, a Sigma 150 to 600 lens that he picked up, which is like 1200 bucks, and uh, a Nikon Z50, which is the crop sensor baseline mirrorless Nikon, and he's taken some amazing photos with it. So once he gets that baseline down, I'm sure he could grow into you know, justifying something more expensive and more, you know, professional level where once you have that baseline, it's going to bring you higher into what you want the photographs to be in the end. But like sure. I said before, it really doesn't matter as long as you have that eye for things, you know? Yeah. Now, and that's quite an investment for most people because it you're is. not getting a return on it except mm-hmm. for enjoyment and better pictures. But it's hard to justify if you're taking food off the table or, or a vacation away from your wife or, Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you know are not getting the car repair you need to have you know or whatever it is so that you know that is an investment and i understand that and it was an investment for me to drop the money the first time on the prosumer lens you know and go out with even that at that point because did i really need it no you know i didn't need it to do my job per se mm-hmm. um I, that was my whole switch and entry into the Sony system when I bought that camera and that lens. So for me, that was a reach to say, look, I already got Canon. Um, you know, I've already got Fuji that I use professionally. What aren't I happy about? And what will this do that those wouldn't do? And let's give it a try, you know? And, and I think at that point, I was investing so much time into the birding and getting so frustrated that. Um, you know, it was a, it, it, it was a great investment. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, now I've, I have no more Canon and, um, you know, I was between actually the R5 and the A1 or the, actually, I didn't even know about the A1, the A92 when I bought, uh, Sony, you know, and, and, uh, so I was debating whether to buy long Canon glass or a Canon zoom or, you know, I always used uh, Canon for my last two jobs and, um, they were great. I got fabulous pictures, you know, my higher ed stuff. Uh, they had the lenses I needed. I love, 
Uh, the 100 to 400 is a wonderful zoom for so many different things. Um, you know, it's a little faster for, you know, the Canon and the, uh, and the Sony. That lens is a great lens that people might really like, especially um, doesn't really have the reach for birds for me, no. but, but it has, you know, for wildlife and, you know, other things in general, it's a great lens and it's really light. Um, you know, so I love that lens and, um, the 200 to 600 is really a nice lens, but it's big. You know, most people would look at that and say, oh, my God, you know, like that that's a big lens to handhold. Um, and I'm a handhold guy, too, quite honestly. I don't. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, I got my 150 to 600 here. It's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. And, uh, you know, so I don't routinely even use a monopod or a, definitely not a tripod with those lenses. And um I'm very mobile with them, just as I always have been as a journalist. Um, well, you're also you know, on I, a kayak, too. I do take them on a kayak. Yeah. Um, I have a, I, I bought, I have a 400 2.8 also and the 600 F4, which sounds like overkill. But I generally, quite honestly, use the 400 2.8 in teleconverters out on the kayak. Nice. And, um, yeah, so I have not really gone to the 600 on the kayak. I've been a little freaked out. I bought the 400 used, so I don't have as much invested in it. And uh, but I'm ready to take that next step soon. I think. Uh, with I, I would. I would be so scared taking my cell phone out with me on a kayak, and you're out there riding around with a 400 28 and a Sony A92. Oh my god! You know what's <laughs> what's really wild though is, um, you know, I've taken baby steps. I have a water bag and or a dry bag, whatever you call it. And, you know, I mean, initially I would put everything in the dry bag and go park someplace and pull it out gently. And God, if I had to change a lens or a teleconverter, I would freak out. And Oh yeah. But it's like anything, you know, you do it more and more and more and more. And I mean, this summer um, I photographed, the, there's, I photograph on a river a lot. It's called the Torch River. It's in Northern Michigan. And uh, we have all different kinds of birds that come through on migration, mostly ducks, but we have, you know, herons and cranes and swans, especially swans. I've had so many encounters with these big old swans. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but this early summer, I noticed that one of the swans had babies, you know, they had a nest down the river a quarter mile or so. And but I hadn't seen him off the nest and, you know, I was in front of somebody's cabin and I didn't go up to him or anything like that. But I was up there and the first day the babies came out on the back of the mother. I had never seen that before in my life, except in pictures. And I was out in my kayak and I had the zoom, the 200 to 600. And, uh, you know, that was the day that I felt like I rode my bike for the first time. I'm out there. 200 to 600, you know, the camera and, and the swan, uh, I saw the babies and I'm starting to paddle and photograph and paddle and photograph. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm there and the, the swan cuts from uh, west to east across the river, you know. And so I start paddling parallel with the swan and shooting and paddle and shoot and paddle and shoot. And, you know, I'm at like, I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm out at four or 500. I don't know, you know, at first and I'm getting these pictures and profile of the babies on the back of the swan. And I didn't realize, but like, I was just paddling, shooting, paddling, shooting. And we started to veer together and I had no idea we were veering together because I had a zoom lens. And so I would shoot and zoom and shoot and zoom and paddle and shoot and just kept doing that. And all of a sudden I couldn't zoom out anymore. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is full frame. And she turned and she came right at me with the babies. And here's the five babies on her back and the head and looking right at me. And the next thing I heard was this. <laughs> and, oh, my God. You know, I got the chills and I put the camera down. I had no idea how close I was. And I put the camera down. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I veered the other way and said, OK, OK, OK. You know, and but that was the day that I just lost all my fear of carrying anything out there and then i graduated to the 400 and um now you know i i try to take a 400 with the tele extender um that's what i've been using lately and then uh another body with uh usually a uh, 16 to 35. And, so uh, what are your biggest frustrations while you're out there not you're past the fear point there's still got to uh, be moments where you're like i wish i could have done x y and z yeah, I think it's just the 
being able to chase them like that, quite honestly, just being able to being able to get in the right spot at the right time. You know, I mean, and I I found a couple of spots and um, I've learned along the way, you know, much. But um, I started, you know, I, all my life, I never wore camo. I didn't feel like I was warranted. I didn't hunt, you know, I didn't do anything. And so finally, I was starting to feel legit wearing camo. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, How's so your closet on, look now? Pardon me? How's your closet look now? Oh, my God. I've got white <laughs> camo even, and I'm ready for winter. So I am so excited. But, uh, no, you know, I haven't, like, I haven't taken it, like, in the summer to face camo and gloves. I haven't done that yet. But I do have a hoodie, and I do have camo pants, you know, because one of my buddies shot a drone picture of me from above, and I really saw how much, you know, just wearing shorts, how much I, I just uh, was, like, glaring to these birds you know the oh white yeah you just stand right out yeah and i have a green kayak you know that's like a forest green so it's a pretty neutral color but so i i, I have started wearing um you know the camo shoes pants uh hoodie and i leave the hoodie up a uh, ball cap and uh you know the other day i still really wasn't sure how it was working but i tucked myself in a cove and i sat there before sunrise and I had, uh, you know, a number of things come close. I had a beaver literally swim up right next to my kayak. Oh, wow. I could have reached out and grabbed it, and he just looked at me. <laughs> and uh, then he, uh, you know, I didn't move because I knew if I tried to shoot, he would be gone. But that was a really wild. And then, so I'm in full camo. And then I uh, sat there, and, you know, the sun came up, and it was behind me. I had these swans, like, the male sort of saw me. And he didn't know what I was. And he made a beeline at me and, you know, started cocking his head. And, and uh, you know, they bloat their necks out when they mm -hmm. get aggressive. And if the neck got out, and he just put his nose down and came straight at me and started picking up speed. And it was like, oh, my God, you know, he's coming <laughs> for me. And he, he wasn't 10 feet away. And I thought, I got to do something. And I grabbed my paddle and I just, you know, raised it. and. Uh, then he was still coming, so I splashed a couple of times. Then he stopped in his tracks and just kind of looked at me, and then they just <laughs> fed within, like, 30 feet of me, 20 feet of me, and I got amazing pictures. But but it was like, uh, you know, the camo really does help and work, and I've noticed that a lot. Oh, yeah. If anyone knows camo, it's uh, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> right. right. Well, and I, so I learned that from you, quite honestly. So, yeah. you know, I, I would watch your pictures that you post on Instagram. So, uh, like I said, I haven't taken it to that next level with the face and, the you know, all that. And I'll have to do that. I do have oh, yeah. gloves, you know. You, you know but. what you should look into? And uh, I have a couple of these products. And this is not a sponsorship. It's just something that comes to mind. Do you ever hear of Quick Camo? No. Okay, look it up. Quick Camo. Q-U-I-K Camo. They have um, a camo system that's basically, it's really good for photography because, I mean, I don't like wearing the face mask all the time, especially if I'm uncomfortable or I like being able to put it away and take it off real quick. They have a hat where the camo pretty much stays under the hat. All you do is lift the hat up and it drapes you um, with camo right in front of your face. It's really good, especially if you're out there like paddling, you don't want to have something on your face or covering your eyes right. or anything like that. And then you get into your little cove and you're sitting there, just go boop, and there goes your camo. So look them up. They'd probably be helping you out a little bit. No, I really do think that would be maybe what I need. You know, I do find myself now um, pursuing a lot more than I used to. You know, once mm -hmm. I see something, I try, as you tried to move the other day, you know, on those bucks, you got up. 50 yards or whatever. I had to. I had to. Yeah. yeah. It was, they, they were not coming in. They were, one was bedded down. One was kind of moseying around. They were like yeah. 80 to a hundred yards away. I could not get a clear shot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm getting out of stand and I'm going to see what I could do here. It was, it was yeah. like my last hour of shooting. So and, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do with the kayak more, you know, where, um, you know, I, I guess I see if I got something like the face mm -hmm. uh, covering also, it would be very helpful as I, went closer because I'm not sure they would notice me as much even, but I try to progressively move pretty slow, but I've come up close lately on, you know, some wood ducks before they, you know, flew out and, um, you know, the swans all the time. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I do like the angle. If I can get out the angles I get from the river versus from the side of the river, 
uh, I get more options for things coming at me and obliquely at me versus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, by me. And uh, I think I've mastered going by me. Um, you know, that's the Cardinal shot was by me. Um, I, I, a lot of my pictures, you know, the, I try to get the three wings or the, the three feathers, excuse me, down, you know, wing feathers down on skimming or. I love that. Yeah, I love I, it. I just so good. I love that too. It just gives you almost a perfect reflection if if mm -hmm. I can get the river still. And um, so I try that often, but I do really love you know that just coming straight at you and they're veering, you know, and that's I think the biggest thing I'm trying to work on now is yeah. just a little bit better angles. Yeah, no, angles are everything. And that was uh, the one challenge I had on this last trip I took to Pennsylvania was this is the first time I really did any photography from a tree stand. Like I was, I was always in the ground and always with a half high and always camoed up and sitting there for hours. So I never actually tried to do any photography from a tree stand because I didn't think the angle would look very good because who wants to see an animal elevated? Like it, it, you want to be on eye level with them or below. It gives you a much better look. It's something unique. It's something like, even like pet photographers, they know that you don't want to take a photo of a dog from above. You want to be on level with the animal. It gives them a much better profile. So, Less what I realized really that makes yeah. it look thinner. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so basically when I was up in the tree stand, I realized I still had a lot of opportunities because the land around me was elevated to the point where I'm in a 20 foot high tree stand, but the land is going up where the elevation difference is maybe five or six feet at 50 yards away. So that that's a hills going up, which was wonderful. I'm in like a nice big ditch down there. Now I'm trying to think if I was in the same position with flat land around me or a hill going downwards, how would it really turn out? But I think it could still work depending on the subject matter. Now for something like birds on the water, if you take a, a shot from the riverbank where you're standing and the bird is a downward angle from you, it just it looks like a snapshot for the most part. But if you right. lower yourself down, I know guys who do a lot of waterfowl photography like for hunting and stuff and they will have a full you know suit on they will lay down in the mud just holding the camera above to get that perfect level with the water and it comes out so much better and so much more crisp and you get that reflection i mean you can't get that with a high angle which is why it's i mean when you see the stuff that you're talking about where the you know the animals are coming at you and you're on the river you could immediately tell a difference from just from the angles alone yeah, i do a lot of laying on my belly and uh, mm -hmm. i just uh ordered it was back ordered but i found uh i think it was think tank some kind of small little it's almost like a disc with a tripod mount on it and i can't remember what it was called i wish i could but mm -hmm. uh it was back ordered but i wanted to use that where it would maybe give me a little stability when it's down low that's the hardest thing for me is when it's down really low you know just to sort of lift at that two, three inches to mm -hmm. your eye or, but I'm hoping this will help that sort of thing. Maybe keep it a little safer, you know, but you could even go in very shallow water, you know, with this and keep your lens above the uh, water. So yeah. I do get pretty low. I think, you know, for you and the blind, and like you said, the elevated, uh, the elevated land, but also you've got the long lens, you know, so I think maybe from up high with that long lens, it, as long as they're not too close to you, it probably won't look too strange, you know. Uh, it'll look like you're on a hill, you know, a little bit maybe. or Yeah, pretty much. You know, whatever. But um, what you had the other day, even from that walkway or wherever you were, that that looked fabulous, you know. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of pictures I haven't really put out there yet from that trip. I think all in all, after I culled out all the photographs that I took, took like over a thousand photographs, there was like 142 they're yeah. like keepers, like good wow. ones. Yeah. And But there's a couple of them where I had like a doe or a fawn or something right underneath me. And you can uh -huh. tell it's a top-down shot. It's a good picture, but I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I was on the ground. I wish I was on the ground for yeah. it, you know? You just know what could have been, even though other people are, you know, like we were talking about before with everyone on social media kind of telling you your stuff's great. I was like, oh, it's a great picture. It's a wonderful shot. I love it. I'm like, yeah, but I know what it could have been. Right. <laughs> no, and that's true, you know, and – I think, um, you know, I mean, we're segueing into like what people post a little bit, you know, I mean, all of those are postable. They're all great. But I think one of the things I learned from being a newspaper editor is editing. 
You know, and I, I really do feel like what you present the reader, you know, I mean, we, we're all bombarded with so many pictures nowadays. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, for me, I like to, and, you know, I think you do the same thing. I like to present something that's pretty fabulous, you know, that I think is pretty decent. I agonize over what I put up there sometimes, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think it's just important. Like I'll see on Facebook, somebody, oh, you know, we had this hawk in my backyard. And it's the exact same picture, like eight times, you know, of the, of the hawk. And just to like pick the best one, you know, and put that up there and let people sort of digest that one picture and look at the details versus seeing it. And, you know, eight times the same thing with very little nuance, any difference. Um, I think it's important, you know, I mean, I go back to the editing part of it, uh, you know, the, the cardinal picture. I didn't edit that out for two, three days after I shot that. I went through, I was so bummed I didn't have any good eagle or hawk pictures that day, and that's what I wanted. You know, I didn't even see the cardinal picture, and it won the best picture in Audubon. You're the, your and, own worst enemy in that one. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I, I finally went back, and I thought, well, this is pretty good, I guess. You know, again, it was a little wider than that, and I had to figure out how to crop it. And I agonize. I could crop something a hundred times, I bet you, you know, before I get the crop I really like and that I feel like it's balanced or takes your eye where I want it to take it or just emphasizes the right things and it's not distracting my, you know, the edges or whatever it is. But um, I just think that's one of the things that everybody, um, you know, too quick to too quick to post, I guess, you know, I mean, uh, too many pictures or um, just, you know, really refining something. And, and I, that's where I kick myself the most nowadays where I put something up and I went, God, I should have toned that a little better. I should have, uh, cropped it a little more, you know, sometimes I'll experiment with crops though. Like I'll post one cropped Instagram, one cropped Facebook, you know, or just to play off and see what people like better. Uh, and I think that's a good way to do it too. But, you know, the same picture, the same picture twice, you know, not, mm -hmm two or three pictures twice. And that's the hardest thing is to pick the best one. It is. And you want people to know, I, you know, Hey, I'm good. I shot 10 good pictures today, but you know, I mean, I really do feel like it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there may be, there was one sequence I had of a duck almost walking on water just a month or so ago, you know, and it was just taken off. I was on it and the light was just going, or just literally just rising. Everything was orange almost. And the duck was taken off and the splashes behind it and the water was still calm, you know, and I thought, oh, that's by far the best picture. And then, you know, you go back into that edit and look again and yeah, I got 15 or 20 in a series, you know, that are really nice pictures. But then I had one where the wings was, you know, touching the water and and you had the reflection, you know, the opposite reflection going down and and then I cropped it a little tighter and I posted that. Oh my God, people went so much, you know, more nuts about that than the walking on water one, which I was so excited about in the beginning. You know, so I, I do feel, you know, like I, I, I feel at times I struggle with editing and I've done it all my life. But, um, you know, that I do think that's something, you know, just to be a little more critical of yourself and what you're doing and, and just be honest with yourself. We said that already, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah, this one's, you know, I can do better tomorrow. I'm not going to post this today. I'm going to get a better shot tomorrow. And can't tell you how many times I've said that and then yeah. focus more tomorrow. And, and I do get a better picture. No, it's very true. And I, I had this conversation before with someone who reached out to me saying, you know, Instagram stuff, posting stuff. Like, what what do you do to post? I mean, because I'm usually on a one one a day or one every other day schedule with my photos, and I have enough of a library that I can I can do that. Where I, I could just pick through the list that I have of the photos I have in Lightroom, and I could say, okay, I'm gonna post I'm gonna post a buck today. Which buck? I have a buck to choose from. I'm gonna find which one's gonna be best for today. And I'm gonna post it right. But a lot of people will go, well, how do you keep up with that? And, you know, how do you pick and choose which photo you have? And I always tell them, I go, if you don't have something that's amazing to post, don't do it. If you don't have something that you are 110% happy with, don't post it. And I've made that mistake. Everyone's made that mistake where I posted a photo where, you know, later in the day, I look at it, I go, was it really worth even putting it out there? Because I, right. you have to really be hard on yourself to the point where, Everything you put out there is a representation of your reputation. 
Like if you were to be putting this in front of the world, which you kind of are in a sense, if you're putting this in front of the world, does it represent every little piece of hard work you put out there? Because everyone's going to have great advice. Yeah, Yeah, great advice. Great advice. When I entered in photojournalism, you know, I had portfolios win a number of years in, uh, you know, like in our Michigan Star of the Year contest and things like that. But I think the best advice I ever got is your portfolio is as strong as your weakest picture. It, it's as strong as the weakest entry in your portfolio. And um, I would say your Instagram feed is as strong as your weakest picture. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you have multiple weak pictures, it's, it's, I mean, the old saying, you're watering it down. You know, you're just, you know, again, hope, you know, everybody might have two, three, four good pictures, like you said. But to see a feed that is constantly one after another, really good pictures is what I'm after. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I hope, um, you know, I hope I can keep that going. You know, that that's my struggle every day I go out. And uh, that's really what I not to make the Instagram feed great, but just to continually come back with, you know, some pictures I'm just really happy with. And, I'm pretty sure you gave me the advice. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you gave me this advice when I um, I started selling prints like last year. And I had a whole big gallery set up and there was, it was literally every photo I had was on that gallery and it was in every format possible, every size possible. It was a huge, huge thing. And I'm pretty, were you the one who told me it's too much, dumb it down? Yeah. 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 And after I did that, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. I ended up starting to eliminate anything that wasn't, you know, the top tier, like there were some good photographs. There were some of my best in there, but even the ones that I thought were like, this is one of my best. I would compare it to the one that I knew was the best saying, am I going to keep this photograph in there? I I went from something like 50 to 60 photographs in this gallery that was available to purchase. And now I'm down to six, there are six or seven right now that are in the gallery of purchase. Ever since I did that is when, um, you know, people actually started buying it because they're seeing all of your best of the best things they will buy. And if you have it lined up with all of your other good photographs, it's going to water down the really great ones, yeah. which is it's true for Instagram. It's true for sales. It's true for everything. I know you're uh, you're delving down that road of selling prints now of your wildlife work, too, aren't you? I, I have uh, posted some images on my website for sale, but I have not. uh this is this is outing me for the first time. So I have not like I have not told anybody. I haven't posted it to Facebook. I haven't. Uh, oh no, I outed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just trying to work out the kinks to the whole process. You know, the whole signing versus unsigning and framing, and you know all the things you just talked about. There's so many. You know, people want different things, and trying to come up with just a basic menu that you can give them and. You know, I, I I struggle with this side of it more than any side of it. This is what Audubon has done to me that is just, done, you know, to me, it's just it, mind-blowing. It's uh, I just don't even know how to wrap my head around this part of it. That isn't what I got into it for. And I can honestly say, like, I never, ever thought about monetizing the wildlife when I got into it. You know, mm-hmm. never thought about really getting assignments that direction or selling big prints or have being represented by somebody in a gallery, you know, all those things are way more forefront in my mind and cause me much uh, stress, you know, versus uh, <laughs> I just need somebody. I really need somebody. I need somebody to represent me and let me shoot. And, you know, that's what I really do feel like I need. And I don't know how realistic that is, but someday maybe. Someday. Know. And I'll, I'll tell yeah. you, it's funny. You should bring that up because it was, um, I think, shortly after I started posting on Instagram, I did it just for fun. I did it because I liked going in the woods. It was the off season. I wasn't hunting anymore. And I was like, you know, I still want to go in the woods. So I'm still going to, you know, take my camera out there. Just go. I had a, a, you know, a little tiny 70 to 300 millimeter lens from Nikon. That was good enough for me. And uh, I started great. posting these pictures. Yeah, it was great. And uh, some guy just shot me a message and goes, hey, do you uh, sell prints? And I had no idea. I didn't have any idea how to do it, but I messaged back. I go, yeah, what do you need? <laughs> and he kind of told me, oh, I need something this size. I go, sure, I'll take care of it. I spent the next like four hours Googling how to get this done for this guy. 
And uh, he asked me a price, and I was like, I don't know. So I sent a message out to a bunch of other wildlife photographers. What would you charge for this? What do you think it's worth? What do you usually base it on? And I got a bunch of answers that were in the same ballpark. So I went back to this guy and told him this is the price. And he goes, okay, here's my address. What's your PayPal or your Venmo or whatever? And that was done. And that's when it clicked with me that, you know, it started off not looking to really monetize or go anywhere with it. But I go, there is a, a business side to this that I have no idea about. And I had no experience in and have no real at the time desire to go down. But the longer I went down the road of taking these photographs and putting them out there, the more of the business kicked in. And now in your position where you are, you know, like you said, you, you got accolades now and it's your the real deal. People want your stuff. It's there. There is a definitely some growing pains that are going to happen when it comes to shipping orders out. That has been such a. That, that was a long list of learning and a lot, long list of mistakes made along the way. Yeah, well, I couldn't have gotten this far without your advice. And, you know, that's one thing. I know we, you reached out to me in the beginning, but I've reached out to you more than you've reached out to me, I think. so. Uh, <laughs> I'm here I, to help, uh, Steve. I'm here to help. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you're kind of my guru, uh, my Yoda at this sort of thing. But uh, I'm, uh, like I said, you know, little by little, it, it's hard. No, you know, I, I do do this and I do want to do it. And I do hope that this is the path that I end up taking. You know, I'm again, 61. I'm not ready to retire. I got another four, five, six years of shooting, you know, solid shooting that I'll probably do while my wife still works. But I, I would like to sort of have it transition over more down this path. And uh, so it is like at this point, it's hard because like this week, um, you know, I have freelance work, uh, you know, every day through next, you know, for the next uh, eight, nine days, except for one. And I don't have any time to go out and, you know, even catch a sunrise or anything, you know, during this path. And then after that, I have, you know, about a week off. So I hope that maybe I'll be able to spend some time doing that. That's the hardest thing. It's for me at this point where I see other people posting these pictures, you know, that the birds are starting to move and they're starting to, you know, starting to fly. And, you know, I go up North and there's no loons anymore. They're gone already. You know, I missed them because I was freelancing or, or whatever it was, you know, I hope to get to the point where I can maybe plan around that versus being at the whim, you know, of clients, which are, it's great. And I love it, but, have a few selected clients, you know, at some point and more of the wildlife, I think is my goal, you know, that I would it, like to do. It's an attainable goal, honestly, um, with the road you're going down now, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could, you know, turn around and say, you know what, this is taking over as more of my full-time gig. And it's, it's a tough leap because there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And there's a lot of investment that you've made around it. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, can you withstand that, you know? But right. at the same time, you also got to remember, you just swept the Autobahn 2021, your first year right. of doing it. So just keep that in the back of your mind, too. It's definitely uh, something that you could accomplish. At least I believe you could accomplish. And uh, I don't know if you want to take my advice on it. I think you should just take the jump and say, you yeah. know what? I'm doing this full time. This is my gig now. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I'd like to. And I, you know, in all seriousness, I don't feel like I'm that far from it. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we'll see. And it gets to the point where you retire, you know, and hopefully you have enough of a you know a, a pad that you can do that sort of thing but you know again i don't think i'll ever stop working you know for me working has always been making photos and and sometimes that's hard to um the birds were the first thing i ever did in my life that i really did for me you know the first thing so the first images i've ever owned the copyright to my whole entire life, you know, 40 plus years of shooting, someone else owned those pictures. You know, I can't even get my old concert pictures anymore. I can't even access them to put them on my website or even have a personal print because somebody else owns all those pictures. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I mean, I think for me, the enjoyment factor now, hopefully, you know, it's been fun to just create, to create, not think about like pleasing somebody else except for myself. And, and I do feel, 
you know, I mean, I hope I can keep doing that and keep pleasing me, which is probably the most critical client I have, but doing that, you know, and then still doing a little bit of the college and some football games to stay sharp and, you know, some back to school stuff for, you know, again, I have some great clients that I'd like to keep working with until I stop. But, but I do think we all want to aim that direction and create just to create where there's no monetary pressure. You know, if, uh, if it works out where I can make some money at it, that's great. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's almost like it will never stop me. Let's put it that way. At this yeah. Point. I, I can already tell from your work ethic. I don't think you're ever going to stop, but <laughs> I think it's like the same sense you would get from buying your dream home as opposed to building your dream home yourself. Well, you right. Know? Right, right, yeah, right. You're going to have like that sense of accomplishment. And like you said, you own it. This is all yeah. yours. This is Steve Jessmore's work here on display. Right. And I think that's been the hardest thing because I don't know how to act now that it's my own work. Somebody yeah. else always took care of that for me. It was always <laughs> published. It was always marketed. It was always whatever. I was just a pawn, you know, in that whole process a creative pawn or whatever and i didn't mind that i loved it you know i loved creating stories and you know following something for a year and publishing it or or whatever that was really fun but uh now you know i look at i start to think about books and you know again building off the whole audubon thing and and uh you know just even the story i think is pretty unique you know from my last year i mean my god i hadn't even shot a bird picture except on the porch basically you know i mean before that and, so. it is it's it's pretty incredible because i think that's what amazed me the most about when we first started talking because when i first reached out to you on facebook i just said to my well i said to myself when i first saw your work you know who is this guy what's he doing how long has he been in this game because these are great it's a cut above and when I found out, you were just like, "Yeah, I just started doing this. It's uh, it's a lot of fun." I'm like, "Who is this person that he's that he's just so nonchalant about the amazing work he's putting out there?" And now it makes even more sense talking with you more. I'm I'm glad we had some more time on this podcast to go a little deeper into your mentality, into your own work. It makes perfect sense about how much you are self-criticizing your work, which is good, but it comes off to other people as an amazing trait that a lot of other photographers don't have. A lot of pe- a lot of photographers that I've met in the field are either a completely full of themselves because they think their work is the, is the greatest. I lean a little bit more towards that realm because I think my work is fantastic half the time until it someone is. pulls me. Well, no, people pull me back down to earth every once in a while That's and say, eh, you could have done this. You could have done that. I'm like, damn it. You're right. I could have. <laughs> but on the other end of the spectrum, you have photographers who Uh, post up amazing photographs and don't realize they're amazing. Now you are a unique specimen in this because you post amazing photographs and you know that they are amazing. However, you're always looking to make the amazing photographs even more amazing, which is where most people stop, which is why I think that, uh, you know, your work's going to continue on and it's going to be um, your lasting legacy won't just be your photojournalism background. That will be a huge part of it because all the great work you've done in photojournalism, they will remember you as an amazing photojournalist, but they're also going to tack on at the end. By the way, he was an incredible wildlife photographer. This man was a photographer to the purest sense of the profession, knowing that you could just walk out there out of nowhere and take photographs of birds that win this kind of award and sweep the category. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I bet, you know, and, and I agree with you. And I, by the way, I think I might hire you to hike, you know, write my obit ahead of time. That was pretty good. I'll do it. But, Pro bono, uh, all yours. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> now, you know, you know better than anybody, you know, again, you know, you can have the great camera and you can have all the best tools and everything. But like if I, when I look at the folder system I have from this last year that I haven't even gone through and edited yet, you know, like. <laughs> Honest to God. I mean, I've looked at them and thought, oh, damn it, you didn't do this or that or whatever. And I learned. But, you know, like to look at every one of those folders that line up on two external, like eight terabyte hard drives or something, you know, they're just and I don't even have room on some of them. And it's like I look at those and I count every one of those folders. And I think each one of those is like five hours. You know, each one of those could be up to 10 12 hours, you know, from mm-hmm. that one day where I spent the morning and the night. And, you know, and I think about that, but, you know, you got to put in the time. 
And I think that's what I did do. It didn't come, you know, and you're not suggesting this. I know that. But all I'm saying to the average guy that goes out there for a half hour on a Sunday and thinks he's going to be a great bird photographer or a deer photographer or a whatever photographer, I don't care if it's a still life or a landscape photographer, you know, you, you just really got to put the time in. And, you know, every one of those folders represents a 10, 12 hours of shooting. But then there's an also maybe a couple hours of actually looking at the pictures and learning and moving forward, you know, carrying what you learned to the, you know, the next day and hopefully applying that the next day. So I go back and look and think, oh, my gosh, you know, again, what a blessing of time COVID, you know, provided that I don't know if I ever would have done this, you know, except for that challenge, you know, that my wife sort of made to me to make good use of the time and do what I always wanted to do and not knowing what I always wanted to do and figuring out what I wanted to do. And, you know, all that was a three, four month, five month process where I even didn't even know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, you add up all that time. And I think that's where we all need to look, no matter what we do, you know, whatever we want to be good at, you just have to realize it's not going to come easy, you know, especially if you really want to be good. And, um, you know, I don't measure myself to anybody else. I measure myself to myself and I really, you know, my wife said it, you know, like, why do you care what somebody likes or doesn't like? Just do what your vision is. It's always been good. You know, just, just trust yourself, you know, trust that, that sort of work ethic, that way I've, you know, again, you know, critiqued myself, uh, the way I've grown, the, the way I see, uh, the way I take chances, you know, whatever it is, you know, just trust that and move forward. And whether you make widgets or you, you know, work on cars or you draw pictures, you know, it's almost, I think, like that for anything you want to do, you know, and just to, again, be honest with yourself. Don't start, don't start coasting, you know, and I'm never going to coast. I can honestly say I will never coast. I'm always still learning, you know, where I'm in the hole is where you're so good at the scouting and the knowledge of wildlife and the, just like where to sit and, you know, like the wind and the scents and the, what they eat and the signs. I don't know any of that, you know, so I'm still learning. I have so much to learn and I will never rest on any kind of laurels, you know, no matter what they are, because I know there's just so much more to learn. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's why I always compare hunting to wildlife photography. That's the whole point of this show is shutters and shells. It is hunting and wildlife photography and how the two coincide. Because if you don't have one, you can't have the other, really. You need to know that track and you have to have that background. Like you said, time. There's guys who go out there hunting for years without getting anything in certain areas. And It's just everyone sees the end result. They go, oh, he shot a huge buck. Yeah, he was out there for four seasons looking for him. You know, it's spring too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, like you said, four seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Year after year. Yeah. Yeah. Year after year, hunting that one moment. A lot of time gets put into that. Just like you're looking through your whole library of all the hours you spent out there on the the, uh, the river. I mean, do you ever – you don't regret any of that because that time was well spent. In the end, that is time well spent. And we're just approaching that hour mark now. I think we're a little bit past it. And I could talk to you all day. I swear I really could. But we got to start wrapping up. Before we do, anything you want to shout out there, Steve, tell the fans of the show. Go ahead. No, I mean, I would love it if you'd follow me on Instagram. Uh, It's just at sjesmo, S-J-E-S-S-M-O. Take a look at my website. It's just stevejesmore.com. Uh, friend me on Facebook, uh, whatever. I love meeting new people like them. And, you know, it's just amazing what everybody can bring to your life. Um, you know, I'm willing to help anybody I can help and, uh, you know, at least help critique or, or uh, with advice. Uh, you know, many have helped me before, you know, along my path. So, uh, again, thank you. I appreciate the soapbox here. Of course, you don't have the soapbox anytime you want. You're always welcome out here on the show. And uh, with that, this is going to be the end of episode 13 of Shutters and Shells. It was a very lucky episode, I must say. I really enjoyed the talk here with Steve. I'm glad you came out. Uh, all of Steve's stuff, his Instagram, his Facebook, his uh, website's all going to be linked in the description of this show. You could listen to us on Anchor, Breaker, 
Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, which is our number one streaming platform right now is Spotify, but go ahead and listen wherever you want. You can find all those links on uh, shuttersandshells.com. You can find the official Shutters and Shells Instagram page at Shutters and Shells. And as I said before, this show runs ad-free thanks to sponsors like you. If you want to sponsor the show and be a little supporter, go ahead and go to shuttersandshells.com and click on the Be a Supporter button or whatever I named it at the bottom of the page, all right? And uh, if you want as well, you can leave voice messages for the Shards and Shells episode. Ask questions, leave comments. I'll play them live on the show. I don't care what you say. Shout out your Instagram pages. Shout out your websites. Free advertising, as far as I'm concerned. As long as you ask a question or bring up a good point. <laughs> Other than that, uh, Steve, thank you so much for being with us. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, we're going to continue this. I'm definitely having you on again next time you sweep a category and some other award you submit to. <laughs> wow. That's that's uh, big pressure. But uh, thank you. It was great. Thanks a lot. You have a good one. You too.